Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. My name's Will Plunk, and um, I get the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Grace City, and I'm looking forward to kicking off our series on the church. Um, before we do, I want to make a quick uh, plug for our Nehemiah internship that we're going to be doing this summer. I'm excited about this. Uh, we have, uh, for the last two summers, done an internship uh, for college students. And here's our hope uh, to take a few college students through over the summer. There's four kind of core categories for us. One is we want to help them grow in self-awareness. I don't know about you, but I was not the most self-aware in the time frame of like 18 to 22. How about you? Not me, at least. So the, the truth is, is God more than anybody else lets us know who we are. And so to take, to set aside time and look at the scriptures and let him inform us, we, we think is invaluable. So there's a lot of teaching involved. Um, one of the, another objective is biblical literacy. So we do try to really instill in people the tools to read the scriptures, also teaching them how to communicate them. We're trying to help them grow in cross-cultural competency. That's the world we're in, and that's the mission that God has put us on according to Ephesians 2 and Revelation 7. So we want to help people engage the world and then also to be justice-minded. So those are four categories we're thinking about. If you're in college, I encourage you to apply. If you know somebody who's in college, you're a sister or brother, um, I think it could be a really good time to set aside and focus on this. Whether ministry is um, an outcome or a thought of vocational ministry is an outcome or not. Um, hey, that's that. We're going to be in the church for six weeks talking about these um, three major metaphors that uh, the scriptures give to us. Um, I'm going to begin just through a word of prayer, so pray with me. Father in heaven, <clears throat> we come before you and um, we want to believe what we sang. We want to ask what we were singing for, that we would become more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, we know you're with us, and so we do pray that we would not approach what's happening as we gather together with saints, with other people who know you and love you. I pray that we wouldn't think about it like we do other things, like a concert or something like this, but instead we'd anticipate you to speak, Holy Spirit, you to move, knowing that you have something to say. So we just ask that every time we open the word. But God, we do want to pray a special prayer for today. I want to pray a special prayer for today. As we talk about the church, we know people don't just simply have thoughts, but they have feelings. We all do, and experiences, and many of those are negative. Many of us enter into this space with, presently, church hurt, suspicion, doubt, frustration, anger, bitterness, maybe hope deferred. And I just, I just pray you would speak to us. And there would be healing in your body. That through the course of this whole series for six weeks, that there would be a unique outpouring of the Spirit on us where we could be healed the way that only you can heal us. Jesus, will you do that? You died for us. You bled out for us. So please heal our wounds. Please heal our hurt. God, we want to confess as a body corporately the ways in which we have been the transgressor of church hurt, where we have done it to other people, where I have. And we know that people have been hurt in our church, in these seats, 
that are here today by Grace City Church. And so we confess, Jesus, our sins before you, thankful that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And God, I pray you would heal people even from us where we've done wrong and where we've done wrong to each other. Truth is, many of us have propagated church hurt and don't even know it necessarily or don't think about it that way. So I just, I pray for something special that we couldn't create or do that only you could and it would just be evidence that you're here and that you're with us and that you're with this body that's yours. So Jesus, we pray this in your name, amen. So our series, again, church, we're looking at these three primary illustrations that the scriptures really give when talking about the church, which is the body, scriptures call the church the body, calls the church a building, and a bride. And uh, you got a chance to hear from the walkers, they were up here talking about how great their community group is and all that God did, but here's one thing I do know that they were talking about in their group last week. Instead of talking about spiritual growth and all this stuff, they were insulting the new sermon series name. And this is what they did, let me show you. This is the picture they sent of a bodybuilding bride, get it? A bodybuilding bride. I'm like, y'all talking about spiritual growth in there? What you doing? You know what I'm saying? Like, what you doing? Maybe now you'll never forget the, the, the title because of this picture. Uh, that's what they were doing. I think it's funny. But anyways, back to our, back to our text. That's the only reason I did that. I think it's funny. Um, these, are, these are three ways the scriptures talk about the church. And so we, we're looking forward to getting to dive in two weeks on each one and just, again, let God speak to us. Here's three things we're praying and, and three really hopes we have for you. One is this, we know that people are coming in here with church hurt, and I would be surprised if you've grown up in the South or in the States and haven't experienced some sort of negative interaction with the church, and so we are literally praying for healing for our family, and and here's our hope for you, is that this would be an intentional time for you to actually dig in to some places where you've been hurt and ask Jesus to heal you. Maybe it's a present pain, maybe it's a past pain, maybe there's confusion, maybe it's been due to the manipulation of scriptures or the abuse in, in leadership or, or just feeling neglected and not cared for, but we, we literally are praying for healing. And we pray that you would kind of commit to that process. Secondly, we know this, there's a lot of different presuppositions and ideas about the church out there. And many of them have been developed in us through our own preferences and personalities. And just we kind of look at the American church and go, I think this would be cool. And so we're hoping that the scriptures actually become the leading force to inform the way we think about the church. And in that, our prayer is that the scriptures, God, really God's vision for the church, would get down into each of us individually and start to expand like the kingdom does. Like he promises, it will. So that's our prayer. That's our prayer for you. One of the things we're doing in the series is we have this cool little resource card um, <clears throat> that we have. And each week there'll be a new one with a place for you to take notes and also um, <coughs> different things we're talking about that week. I do need to shout out my man Richard Brown for his creativity, okay? So here's Richard's idea that we got in the back for you if you want it. There are whole punches in the back. And you literally can punch a hole, and then there's little ring things like a keychain, and you can put them on, and you can collect them. If you get all six at the end, we'll give you, no, I'm just kidding about that. <laughs> but, but you can collect them all. 
and collect is the wrong word. You can keep them all, and uh, hopefully they can be a helpful resource for you. So that's in the back as well. Um, hey, before we jump into Romans 12, I'll, you can, if you have the card, you can flip it over. We're going to talk right here about the natures of the church. And um, I know there's a decent amount of introductory material, but I think that this is important. And so let me take you to seminary just for a couple of minutes. Uh, the Greek word for church, which is the New Testament was written in Greek primarily, that word for church is ekklesia. You want to say it with me? Read 1115. Look, now you all know Greek. You've got everything you ever need to know about Greek. Ekklesia is the word. All it means really is gathering or assembly. That's all it really means in the New Testament. However, there are five primary ways that that word is used to refer to five different things, and people call those the nature of the church or the natures of the church. <clears throat> The first one is a local church. You are attending a local church right now. Grace City Church is a local church. Other ch churches in Charleston and other places, they're a local church. You hear that word used in multiple places. You got it in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, and Colossians is there. And really, it's kind of all over the place because what would happen in the New Testament is that, that an apostle or just a person would come through and evangelize a place. People would meet Jesus, and then you'd have individuals who were Christians, and they would gather in what was called the ecclesia or the church. But it wasn't simply a gathering, and you can see this in Titus chapter 1 and other places, but what would happen is then either one of the apostles or maybe he would leave a pastor behind, and that pastor would actually appoint elders to, to help lead or, or leaders over that church. So a church, a local church, is not simply a gathering of Christians. It's actually a gathering of Christians with God-appointed or really, really a biblically qualified leaders is the idea of a local church. There's a group of churches. So oftentimes when the letters of the New Testament are written, like to, to Galatians, it's written to the churches of Galatia. So sometimes that word is just used to refer to a group of churches and the way they interact together. So most likely those churches in the region of Galatia had relationship with each other. Sometimes the letters might have been read just to individual churches, but sometimes there probably was um, a corporate gathering. We are a non-denominational church, which just means we don't have a denomination that we're attached to. Um, so what this means, we need to be more intentional than some others at making sure we have relationship with a group of churches, because that could be a weakness in our model, if that makes sense. Um, there's a representatives or, of rulers and office bearers are sometimes referred to just the church in general. So you see it in Acts 15, but explicitly in Matthew 18, when talking about disciplinary things, it says bring it to the church, and the context is most likely the leaders. But, so it's, it's using that word just to refer to the leaders of the church, but you see again in Acts 15, specifically these leaders coming together and making decisions um, about, about the church generally. So this is, um, there's some biblical precedent, and that really would be one for denominations. So I don't know if you grew up this way, but our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, they, you know, they got sessions and presbyteries and things like this making decisions. There's some biblical precedent for that. Um, number four, <clears throat> churches throughout the world or the global church. This is, um, I don't know if you've gotten the chance to, to leave the country or just kind of go to different parts and experience the way that the visible church is operating. If you do, I bet it was meaningful. I mean, I remember my time in Eleuthera in the Bahamas and interacting with the church there in Kenya. I've got to do it in Scotland and in Ecuador. And all these places, I'm like, wow, there's, this is the, the same God in a different part of the world just moving through people. It's beautiful, and it's a meaningful thing. And oftentimes when the, the, church, the word church is referred to, it's referred to the visible church. The last one, 
all in heaven and earth united. So I grew up Lutheran, and one of the things we would say often is the Apostles' Creed. And so we'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the Catholic Church. And I'd be like, I'm Lutheran. Why am I saying I believe in the Catholic Church? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not Catholic. But that word Catholic just means universal. So if you grew up that way, saying the Apostles' Creed, you're not praying for, saying you believe in necessarily the official Catholic Church. You're saying the universal church. Here's the universal church. When Ephesians talks about the church, it's talking about this a lot. It means everyone that Jesus saved in the past is saving in the present and will save in the future on earth and in heaven. It is the, it's the gathered church that transcends time. It's beautiful. So why am I saying this? Here's why I'm saying this is because as we get a chance to talk about what the church is, it's important to kind of understand its natures. And here's a good question to ask you, yourself, is what's my relationship with, like, with the different natures of the church? What's my relationship like with the different natures of the church? And here's what I would say. The, the Bible doesn't talk equally about all of them. I personally believe that one, four, and five are probably the most important. But it's a good question to ask. And even as we're talking about the church, it, it is a helpful category to think about these different natures as we talk in and out of, of them. So I hope that can be helpful for you. All right, now Romans chapter 12 Verse 1, we're talking about the body today. And I uh, got a title for it. I don't ever title my sermons, but I decided I was going to be cool. And here it is. It's what the body is for. And here's why I titled it that is because there are three fours in the text, and all are trying to tell us what the body is for. I mean, right? Come on. I don't know. Therefore is the first one. Thank you, Jillian. And then there's two other fours. Got a pity clap in the front. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. It's beautiful, though. Look, listen, this is the first two verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, everybody say body, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. Romans is an amazing book of the Bible. Romans is a powerful book of the Bible because it is probably the book, the epistle, the letter in, in the New Testament that's most explicit about what the gospel is. In chapter 1 through 11, it's just been yelling gospel. He's been yelling gospel, basically, and then there's this therefore, and that year, therefore was when there's a transition to all the ethical implications of the gospel, all the applications, that then this is what we live into. But if you've ever done Bible study methods, here's an important question. Yeah, you say, if you see a therefore, you ask, what's it there for? And so you can't really talk about what's to come unless you first look at what's been. And again, it's been this just outpouring of what the gospel is. In chapter 1 and 3, it is laying out the nature of sin, the condition that is over all of us. Basically, it's saying whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, regardless of your background, we've all fallen short. It says that we've exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and now we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter our background, family. Doesn't matter our orientation. Doesn't matter our personality. We have all fallen dramatically short of the standard that God has set for us. We can't even meet our own standard, but we can't meet God's. But then there's this transition. 
And he goes into this idea of justification, what we've been declared, what we've been made. And it says, but all have been justified, all who believe have been justified through Christ. And he's like, this is the plan since the beginning. He talks about Abraham. And he says, Abraham wasn't justified through works. Instead, he believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, given to him as righteousness. Through faith, we get stamped, is the idea of justification, with God's righteousness. What does that mean? It's a big Christian word to mean all of his goodness. His moral perfection has then been given to us through faith, not by works. So we fell short, but we don't work to make ourselves to catch up. We fell short, but we ain't gonna, we don't gonna strive to be high. Instead, it's through faith, justified through faith. But like Jonah was kind of saying, it's not just a stamp and then it's done. In six through eight, we get the idea of sanctification, that God is working in us to renew us, to make us new and to conform us into the image of Jesus. It says we're no longer a slave to sin, but now through Christ, chapter six, we are a slave to righteousness. We have a new master, but isn't he good? Jesus, Jesus, who what it says in chapter eight, it says God predestined before time and space to conform those he loves into the image of his son. Romans 8, 29. Before creation, he had you in mind to stamp you with the righteousness of Jesus and then to conform you, to make you, to mold you into something beautiful. 9 through 11 is kind of an interesting take, but it talks about Israel. The big question, though, is has God's word failed to his people? There's a resounding no, then we get the therefore in 12.1. Therefore, because of this gospel, because of this news, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, looking back to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Can I tell you something? Gratitude for grace is the only adequate motivation for Christian living. Only through looking back at the gospel, letting it wash over us, remembering what it is, never forgetting it, making sure we cling on to it, not letting go of it, looking back. That's the only thing that is going to help motivate us and to live into the goodness that there is to follow Jesus. It says, in view of God's mercy, literally, it's like there's a chasm between us and God, one that no matter how how far back we started, how much we ran, how, how long we jumped, we could never get over. But the weight of God's glory and mercy and grace has fallen on the other side of a springboard that we stand on that catapults us over to the other side. So it's only by the gospel that we are sent into relationship with Jesus. It's only through his work. It's only through his effort. It's only through who he is. This is it, family. This is the message, the good news about Jesus what he's done for us, that we're never to forget, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how involved or not involved in the church we are, this is it. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, everybody say body, as a living sacrifice. That word sacrifice is akin to killing. Literally it says, offer your body as a living killing. Why would we ever do such a thing? Why would you ever do such a thing? We wouldn't apart from gazing at and being transformed by God's mercy. Viewing 
God's mercy. With that in view, in mind, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. This, it says, is your true and proper worship. A lot of times we think about worship, we think about singing. Singing can be and is an aspect of worship. It's musical worship. But let me tell you, it's not at the heart of what worship is. If you look at the Old Testament specifically, worship had everything to do with sacrifice. So often, there are all these kind of rituals and procedures, and literally, they would take animals, and those animals, they would kill those animals. And the, the killing of that animal was a representation of atonement, a representation of a covering for our sins because we have fallen short. And, and that blood offering would literally, that smell would waft up to God, and it would be pleasing to God. I don't know why that, you know what I'm saying? But like, there was a, there was a pleasing aroma is the idea. But now through Jesus, it's no longer like that. Through Jesus, there's not this perpetual offering that we make. Now through Jesus, he was the one-time offer that has covered sins for all time. And in view of that offering, now we offer our bodies as a living killing. A living killing, because it's not a one-time thing like, like they would do with those animals, but it's a daily thing, denying ourselves daily to follow Christ. It's a living killing because not only that, but we who were dead in our transgressions and sins were dead and then through the offering we actually become alive in Christ through faith and grace. So now we are alive, able, like we get to offer ourselves to God. You hear what I'm saying? We get to offer ourselves to God. I hope you hear what I'm saying. We get to, we get to, we get to offer ourselves as an offering to God. Why would we do such a thing in view of God's mercy? Because of the therefore. That's why. It's the only adequate reason for us to live this life. Verse 2, don't, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know this message literally transforms the way that you think? Literally, it transforms the way that you think. It transforms what you believe. Like you stop wanting the things you used to want. You stop doing the things you used to do. You stop being motivated by the things you used to be motivated by. You, you, like literally it, it washes over us and fully transforms us. That's the idea. It transforms the way we think. So again, I'm, so to this last service, I'm not a neuroscientist, but one thing I do know about brain pathways, kind of. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I had affirmation after the last service though. <laughs> Is that if we do behaviors enough, habits get formed and pathways really get created in our brain. Literally patterns get run into our mind. Thank, thank you again. Medical professionals, you're nodding your head, so I'm like on good land. Pathways get created in your mind that we're used to running down. And oftentimes, for those of us who've struggled perpetually with particular sins, it's partially because pathways have been created in our brain and in our flesh what is natural is just to run down that same pathway that set with those same invasive thoughts with those same sin patterns with that same struggle and for some of you you're like I just I, you feel like you're, you're striving you have worked hard and it just still feels like you're on that pathway what this says though is don't be conformed to the pattern of the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know, family, the gospel literally washes over those pathways and smooths them out 
do we think the gospel can't touch brain chemistry? This message is radical because it changes the way that we think. It changes what we feel. It literally changes what we do. No longer are we conformed to the patterns of this world, but we get transformed by a mind renewing. Like a gospel washing. Like literally like your brain's going through a car wash, just getting saturated with the good news of Jesus. This is what it means for us to be in Christ now. Just this washing that happens. It says only then will we be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It is only then when our mind's been renewed. It is only then when we understand the therefore. It is only then when we keep God's mercy in view will we be able to test and approve what God's will is. That is the only way that we're going to be able to follow God. Say, Will, what's this got to do with the church? I say everything. Absolutely everything everything. Here's why. The church is a derivative of the gospel. The gospel is not a derivative of the church. The church comes from the gospel. The gospel does not come from the church. The message makes the church. The church does not make the message. The church is an outflow of it. Like, look, look at three through five. I want you to see it's pretty explicit. Again, the therefore. So the therefore starts, the fours start, and tells us literally what our physical body is for. But then it's going to go in to tell us what our spiritual body is for, which is the church. Verse four, for just, we're going to get back to three, for just as each of us has one body, physical body, and many members, these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. So in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to each other. How do we get in this thing? In Christ. It is Christ that makes sense of the church, not the church that makes sense of Christ. Listen, is the church broken? The church is broken. But a broken church does not mean a broken Christ. Let me tell you that. A broken church does not mean a broken Christ. A perfect Christ instead says he's going to use a broken church and wants us to be involved more just so that we can experience the perfect Christ. The perfect Christ is not surprised that the church is broken. Read, the, read about the first century church. Like, just, like, read about it. Like, like, there's all these letters about how messed up the church is. Like, Jesus wasn't surprised that the disciples were knuckleheads. You know what I'm saying? Like that they were hard to hear, hard to listen, straining for their own glory at times, their own, you know, efforts, all this kind of stuff. Like he knew even that they would, when the, when the, when the shepherd would be stricken, the sheep would scatter. He knew that. Yet a perfect God still chose to use broken people, family. This is incredibly important. This is essential. And here's why. I want you to hear me say this. The church is not trustworthy. And we should not participate in it because it is. It is Jesus who is trustworthy. And it is only when we keep in mind the gospel will it make sense for us ever to participate in a church. It is only then. Like again. Like sometimes like can a pastor experience church? A pastor can, you know what I'm saying? Like we all can. And many of, many of you have. But the answer is not primarily to try to find the perfect church. It is 
primarily to worship a perfect God. And if we are expecting our church to be perfect, we will always be discouraged. It is like the only thing that can even bear the weight of our church participation is a perfect Jesus. That's the only thing. It's him and his will and his desires that chose to use this entity. It is only when we realize verse 5 says, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. It's through Christ we form one body. It's through Jesus we form one body. That's why. That's the answer. That's the only thing. Like, like, uh, you know, when we're a church plant, we're three and a half years old, and at first it felt like, you know, people were coming, and it was kind of like, Great City Church, new church in town, it's great, it's perfect. And uh, people didn't say that, but, that, but people kind of, I feel like people kind of thought that. And I feel like we were like, listen, we're going to hurt you. But now we've been around three and a half years, and people are like, I know, you have, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's true, because it's imperfect. And when something's new, it's easy to think, okay, like, or something's different or it's new to us, it's easy to kind of look at it and see the shine. But I just want us to see that for God, I believe, for, like for us, it's important to know that it's through Christ we belong. It's through Christ we belong to this thing. It's through Christ we get committed to this thing. For just, that's the for, what is the body for? Just as we have one body with many members, so in Christ, though many, we form one body. The gospel is the thing that produces the church. The church doesn't produce the gospel. So even though when we experience sometimes church hurt, it's a very logical, very logical, and very reasonable response is we'll experience church hurt, and then, then we'll often question, or many of us will question God and question the gospel. And that's very logical, and it, it makes sense. But what I think is down in our minds unknowingly is that we have the wrong order. We have the wrong order. The church doesn't produce the gospel. The gospel produces the church. It's the message that forms the church. So even when, this God, even when this church is broken, it doesn't make the gospel broken. Again, the Bible tells us the church will be broken. We, we gotta keep the order right because when the order is right, it's gonna give us the power to endure at times. Verse four again for... Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So first point really is that the church comes from the gospel, and we must keep the gospel in view to even participate in the church. But the second point is this, the second four, what's it for? Is that we belong together because of Jesus. Literally, we belong to each other because of Jesus. We are connected and we get committed. Here's one thing. If you meet Jesus, you are a part of the church, even if you don't want to be. Not a local church, but the universal church. Really, yeah, the universal invisible church at minimum. You don't need, you know, you, I don't want to be involved. You are. Too bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're really in Christ, you are. And we should participate locally, absolutely, but, but that's just what happens. We be, and, it, and it says, literally, this is what it's saying, though. If you're in Christ, you belong to somebody. You belong to Jesus, but what does this say? Look at the end of verse 5. You belong to, we belong to each other. You belong to people. So, so why don't we participate? Because Jesus has made us belong, right? Like that, that's the reason. Let me, let me show you 
um, on your resource card, the second little part is a scriptural basis for church membership. And let me talk about this real fast. I think this is important because the question is, why do we participate? Why would we join a church? Because it's much easier to just attend kind of from the outside. Just at the end of the day, it is literally way easier to do that. Because you go to the church, and you're like, does it have good teaching? I like the teaching, good singing, I like the singing. Actually, I don't like it. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to flip it up. Like, nah. <laughs> so why get involved in such a way where you could get hurt? I think there's a lot of experiential and a lot of biblical reasons, but one is just that there's a lot of biblical precedent for us to just commit to each other even locally. Uh, this is just kind of a show, too, that has been God's plan since the beginning. In, in Genesis 15, you can go back and read these passages, the membership of God's covenant family. God has been in the business forever of creating families that are connected together. First, it was an ethnic, biological thing, but there was a commitment to the family, a part of the family where some people were in and some people were out, and these were God's people uniquely. And Numbers 1, 2, there's an authorized census of the people. God's authorizing this one, and it's saying count the people so you know who, who is in God's family to try to take care of. Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5. This isn't the one we like talking about a lot, but it's inclusion or exclusion from the church. And you can't be excluded or included from something that isn't, you know, isn't like a thing, if that makes sense. If it's not a thing, how can you be excluded from it? But that's the scriptural basis for church discipline, and we're going to talk about that more, corrective discipline, because I think there's a lot of hurt there, but there is biblical precedent, and we want to be able to discuss that. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4, shepherd the flock is the exhortation to elders, that they have a specific flock that they are taking care of. You can't shepherd people who you don't know who they are. And then Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 is obey your spiritual leaders. And the truth is you can't obey your spiritual leaders unless you know who they are, right? Unless you're committed to somebody. And let me just be real, Tim Keller is not your pastor. You know, as much as I love Tim Keller, he's not. He don't know your name. Maybe you all have a relationship. I don't know, but I don't think so. And there's something about, having, there's people God has entrusted, and that's, that's the point. And then you see in our text, we go back to our text, this text and the text Richard's going to teach next week, it, the membership language is used. And the member, or the member language is used. It is not talking about membership the way that we do it now. I'm going to be real. But that's where the, the concept comes from. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do all have, don't all have the same function. So the body has members, and then it says, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. So it's referring to us individually as members there, right? You'll see it? It's referring to us as members. So what makes church membership different than gym membership? All right? Well, here's, here's one thought. So with the gym, you pay in some sort of entry fee, monthly subscription? That's not. Subscription? That's what it is? Okay. I feel like, I was like, this just for Amazon, or is it a subscription? Is that the right word? <clears throat> but you pay, you know, you, you're paying some sort of entry fee, and then you go in, and when you go in, what are you, what are you to do? Well, you get to use all of, all the equipment is yours to use, right? Like, you paid the fee, now you get in, you use all the stuff. And here's what I do want to say. You are supposed to use the church. Like, this is the way it's similar. You literally are supposed to use the church. I, um, I think it's John F. Kennedy's statement, like, it's, it's not... What America can do for you, it's what you can do for America. You know what I'm saying? And like, I mean, I'll be real. I preach that. I'm, I'm down to preach that sermon about the church all the time. I'm like, you're right, not what? You know what I'm saying? The church can do for you, it's what you can do for the church. But here's the truth. You are supposed to use the church. You're supposed to get stuff. It's not wrong to want community and want to be known by the church. That is a good thing that you should get. 
You should want biblical instruction. You can want good teaching. You can want good musical worship even as it relates to helping you engage with God. You can want to be known. You can want to have a place where you can make a meaningful contribution. It is good to want those things. You should use the church, right? That's the way it's similar. But what about the way it's different? You pay an entry fee to go to the gym. Who pays the entry fee for you to become a member of the church? Jesus does. What's it say? Verse 5, so in Christ we, not in you, we, in Christ we, though many, form one body. Christ, through what? Through his sacrificial offering on the cross, shedding his blood, has paid your entry fee ultimately to be in relationship with him, but also to belong to his body. He has paid that price. You do not need to pay to get in. And this is beautiful because whatever church you go to, you might feel like, I don't fit right. I'm, I, should be ex- I feel kind of excluded based on my ethnicity or my gender or my economic status or just the way I dress or my personality or how familiar I am with the church. And I want to say, no, 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 no. In Christ, we belong. In Christ, we are one. That's how we get in. Not by trying to fit in. It's through Jesus that he makes us one and he brings us in. He unites us together. He pays the entry fee. So now you're in. What do you do? Well, here's, here's my point. The gym, you just use the facilities, the um, uh, equipment. <laughs> you, just, you, you just use the equipment. Sorry, second service. Like, what did I say? You use, you use the equipment and you pay the entry fee. In the church, Jesus pays the entry fee. You use the equipment, but guess what? You're also equipment to be used. We are. You should use the church, but here's the truth. You should also be used. You should be used by the church. You should. Like, look. Look at what it says in verse 6. He's going to talk about the gifts that were given through his payment of the entry fee and the purpose of those gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. The gifts are from God. This is beautiful. If you're in Christ, you, have a, you know you have a gift. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift, and it says, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. It's like use your gift. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then Give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He says, you have a gift, use your gift. That's basically what it says. Not super deep, but it's important. Use it. Here's the the truth. I think many of us don't know our spiritual gift, and I think it's not because we haven't taken the right spiritual gift inventory test. I'm not saying those are bad. I think they can be helpful, okay? Seriously. But I think the scripture doesn't say, I mean, I know the scripture doesn't say take an inventory test, but the scriptures say and really push towards is using your gift, right? And I think many of us don't know our gift because we actually haven't stayed at a church long enough to figure it out through use. So literally, we haven't been there long enough to, to, to use it and then to have what? Fruit be born for it. Because what's the purpose of a gift? in the kingdom of God, to bear fruit for the kingdom, to upbuild other people. So if we're not there long enough, how could we even see it to know that we have a gift? So we're left just kind of going, I like this or I like that, and your likes do matter, 
They're just not primary. First Corinthians 12 is real clear about that. Richard's going to be in it more. He'll do all the work, all right? But like, but, but that's the truth, right? It's to, to use it. And so some of us won't. And, and here's the thing, and I don't, I don't want to cause any shame because I think many of us have left churches and, and looked around because, because of deep pain and, and abuse and hurt or because churches aren't necessarily true churches. There can be a church that's, that's bad in a, in, in a way that it's not truly teaching the gospel, and you should not be there, right? There are, reason, there are legitimate reasons to leave churches. I'm not trying to say there's not. But I do... Like, one thing that saddens me, so I was, like, thinking about my generation and down, or really kind of the, really under me, and I think when some of the people who grew up in church now, the kids now, are asked, what church did you grow up in, they won't have a name. They'll have six. They'll say, we were here, then we were here, then we were here, then we were here. And part of me thinks that's sad. Because there's something, even about kids, getting raised in one place where they're known and loved and cared for and can be built up. You know what I mean? And where they even get to experience an imperfect church that's worshiping a perfect God, building each other up. So again, we have that. And it's an important question to ask, how am I being used? And I don't, I don't you know, mean in the negative just way I'm used and thrown away. I mean in the way that God has desired, he's put in you a way to be used for your local context, and you can think about all the natures of Christ. Absolutely. There's some of, I'm excited some of the people in our church are, like they have really big impacts in the global church in, in unique ways due to some of their job or their commitment or the missions, and it's, it's beautiful. But to ask, what, is I, what have I been given these gifts for? So the first point, really, the, gos- the church is a derivative of the gospel. The message makes the church, not the other way around. Second one, we belong to each other because Jesus paid our entry fee to, to use one another and to be used. But look at this last four in verse three. I think this is incredibly important when it comes to our commitment to participation in the church. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. There's a word play in this verse, which is kind of cool. When it says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, it's one word. It's hooperphreneo, which means high thinking. And then it says, rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That's one word, which means sophreneo, which is right thinking. It's say, don't high think, Right think. Don't high think about yourself. Right think about yourself. Here's one thing I think the culture often does. It believes, I think it identifies oftentimes that the core problem in us is a low self-esteem. I think that can be a problem. But the Bible is primarily, just with the exhortations, not concerned about a low self-esteem, but a high self-esteem a too high and inflated, a pride and arrogant view of self. And hear me say this, listen. The cure to a low self-esteem is not pride and arrogance, and the cure to arrogance or pride is not a low self-esteem. So sometimes we think, okay, like if I'm going to be arrogant, then I just need to self-deprecate. I need to think bad about myself. The Bible says I should think bad about myself. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's a, it says it's a right view of self. It's a sober judgment. Literally, it's, saying, like, it's talking about sobriety is the idea. It's like, don't have a drunk view of yourself. And I'm like, I can be drunk on myself sometimes. 
in here, y'all. Just drunk on self, consumed with self, overindulging on self. So much so I enter a space like this and concerned with what people think of me primarily. Why? I'm one person amongst however many hundred people, but I think about myself like I'm the hundred people and there's just one other person called everybody else. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We have a drunken view of ourselves, and it says, by the grace given to me, I say to you. I love it. I like how he says it. You know, it's like, in grace, in love. Right, think about yourself. Be sober in how you view yourself. Here's why I think this is so important as we interact with the church. It's because I think this leads into, again, the four is leading into how we participate as members. So this is an, this is an exhortation, the four, and then it's leading in how we interact as a church. <clears throat> that oftentimes we spend our time thinking about, is this the right church for me? Instead of thinking about, am I the right person for the church? Am I becoming the right person? Am I thinking rightly about myself as I interact with the church? So again, we can jump from church to church looking for the right church, but I, I literally, I think like for many of us, we would benefit exponentially more from staying committed and fighting to let God change us and having a sober judgment of ourselves as we participate in the church. Like we benefit way more from an average church than from jumping around to a bunch of really great churches just because of the commitment and the time. And through commitment, people are going to know, people going to know your stuff. Like at the end of the day, like we're three and a half years old. Like those of you I know the best, I only kind of know you still. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's new. But like when you've been with somebody for a long time, they just they can't hide no more. You know what I mean? It's like you just see it all. You see the bad. But then, but then when you work through that, there's just so much beauty on the other side. There's so much beauty on the other side. And what you, one of the things you see throughout the scriptures is this, family, is that intimacy breeds in commitment. God commits to us first. And that's when the intimacy starts to form. Why? Because we don't have to wonder, is he going to, like, we're not in a relationship with God. Like, is he going to break up with us? Like, if I mess up, he going to just, you know? <laughs> what does it say? Not hell, demons, angels, no, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So, like, oh, he committed, so I'm good. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's committed, I'm good, I can have the intimacy. But it turns out, that's what he wants for us in the church too. Look at it. So it's not, a broken church doesn't mean a broken God. Instead, a perfect God has chosen in his sovereignty and divine omniscience to use a broken church. Why? You gotta ask him. But this is what he chose. And he's not surprised. This is his plan. Banyan, come back up. There's one quote talking about individuals, but I think this is like a, I think it's from Martin Luther, and I think this kind of depicts who we are to each other. He says, Christians are like one beggar offering another beggar bread. That's all we are. 
And I like this, because I think this means this too. Sometimes we're afraid, like, if the church is, I mean, and I, I, I feel it like, <laughs> you know, like, invite somebody to church. It's like, what's the church going to be like? It's going to be messed up. You know, you hope it's a good Sunday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I feel that too, you know. I like to invite people when I'm not preaching. <laughs> like, I hope it's a good Sunday, you know. And then we can feel the same way about our own personal witness. You know, like, oh, man, I messed up my Christian witness because I sinned or fell short. But I think we kind of miss it when we do that. Because, yes, you're going to fall short. And you being a Christian doesn't mean you being perfect. But it means when you fall short, you actually point that person to the one who didn't fall short. And maybe you confess to them and apologize, and you're like, oh, no, I sinned, and I don't want them to know. It's like, no, like, let them, <laughs> no, you got to tell everybody, but like, let them know your sin, because then they'll see the way you depend on a perfect God. And the same is true for the church. We, we got to stop hiding and trying to pretend like we're the best church. We're not, nor will we ever be, but we do know the best one, and his name's Jesus. We do know the perfect one, and his name's Jesus, and that's what we're going to keep telling people about. And that's for all of us to participate in and to scream about and to make much of. So I'm going to pray for us. We, as always, we have people praying around the room for you and with you. And maybe you have church hurt and it would be a great chance to talk through. Like even after the service, there are some people just talking through stuff, past, present. Maybe it's something different entirely. Maybe it's the gospel. You just hadn't heard the weight of that mercy and that gospel and that glory. Maybe that's what it is you can talk to somebody about. But talk to them, pray with them. We'd love to engage with you. Jesus, we come before you right now, thankful for all that came before the therefore. Thankful for even understanding the weight of sin, because then we get the weight of the gospel. The goodness of your grace that would wash over all of our shortcomings and make us a new person. And I do pray that all of us today, regardless, <coughs> regardless, of if, we're far, if we felt far off or are far off or are close, that all of us today would let our mind be transformed by the good news that you have come. Your kingdom is at hand. Please, Jesus, wash our mind. Saturate us. And may we rejoice that we, through Christ, form your body. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.